right. How are you guys doing? Good. Good. <laughs> uh, who's uh, any Chiefs fans in the house? All right, all right. Any 49ers fans in the house? Shame. He's not even. I guess. I guess. I guess these fans don't really care about their teams or something. So, uh, uh, nobody. Anyone just looking for any commercial fans in the house? Yeah, that's why we watch the Super Bowl. Yeah, football, schmutball. Let's just watch commercials. So, hey, it's going to be fun. I hope you guys have some fun planned. Do you guys know that the Super Bowl is like the, um, next to Thanksgiving and Christmas, uh, more food is consumed on Super Bowl Sunday than any other day of the year. So, uh, just, uh, I hope you get to eat your heart out today. Uh, my name is Nate, if we haven't met. I'm the lead pastor of the Front Church. Maybe you are new. Uh, maybe you don't consider yourself particularly religious. Maybe you're from another tradition. Maybe you're watching online. You can't be with us in the house this morning. We miss you, but we're glad you're joining us out there. Whatever the case, we're creating the front for you because we're inviting as many people as possible to experience Jesus' story. And so we're so glad you're with us this morning. We are wrapping up a series on James. And if you haven't been here with us prior, that's okay. Um, we're still going to, uh, every chapter of James, both it can build on itself, but it can also stand alone. And so if you're like, oh man, I missed the first four weeks, it's okay. We're glad you're here. Um, and uh, and we're just, we're going to jump in. But scripture will be on the screen in a minute. And our series has been James True Wisdom. Now, if you have been here the whole time, then you can, after we read it here in a minute, you can give yourself a little pat on the back because you have, you will have written read through at least one book of the Bible this year. Uh, and so congratulations on that. If you're new to the Bible, we try and talk about the Bible in everyday, ordinary ways because we think it's meant to be understood by everyday, ordinary people. And so it's going to be a good time. Before we jump in, though, we got to know who is James. Well, James is the younger brother of Jesus. Um, he was uh, killed in A.D. 62, uh, prior to his death, he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was a Jewish Christian, um, and, uh, and, and he wrote this letter. See, now, when we read the Bible, it's important for us to remember that the Bible was written for us, not to us. If we think the Bible is written to us and we pick it up, we're going to kind of misunderstand some things because we're going to think that we are the central character of the story, and, and it, the, the Bible doesn't work like that. The Bible invites us into the story, but God is the central character of the story. And one of the ways that the Bible speaks really powerfully is when we begin to dig into who it was actually written to. And it's not, the Bible isn't one book, it's a library of books across different genres of literature. And James is a letter, and James is a letter written to a group of Jewish Christians dispersed, and dispersed, and they didn't like being dispersed, right? They are... Uh, they were Jewish Christians who were forced to relocate from their home to, to distant places. And so they were, um, they were a displaced people. They were under trial. They were, they were suffering, probably because they were choosing to follow Jesus. They were suffering because of that. And, um, and so life was kind of hard for this group of Jewish Christians. And so James writes to them. Um, we do have some resources that we just want to point out as we've been going through the series. You can go to thefrontchurch.com slash James 
and you can get a reading plan recommended for you. You can find an audio Bible. Maybe you guys are like, man, reading's hard, but, but you can listen. And so uh, there's a pretty cool audio Bible that I use sometimes when I just want to be listening to Scripture, even if I'm doing other things, in my car, driving, getting breakfast ready for my kids. And so um, uh, there's a link to that there. Um, there's some other helpful resources um, there. But um, the Bible Project, guys, this is what they say about James. They say, following Jesus is not only about agreeing with theological information, but Jesus' followers become truly wise by living according to Jesus' summary of the Torah. Love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. And so where we've been prior to James 5, James 1 through 4, is we've been, James has hit a few themes. But the big thing you've got to know when you're reading James is he's always unpacking Jesus' teaching. And Jesus taught us that love of God and love of neighbor are not two separate things, but they are connected. And James is writing to a group of Christians scattered who, don't, who want to divorce these two instead of recognize they're connected. Actually, how we show our love for God is, and love for our neighbor. So he has some hard things to say sometimes. He has some challenging things. He has some encouraging things, but we've talked about that. Um, one of the things that we've been asking as we've been going through James is, how do we affect change? Um, and James would say that change starts in the house. So James is really concerned about how other Christians are relating to one another in their own church setting. And that's, the, that, that's his main concern. And that's what we need to remember as we approach an election year, an election season, as we approach other areas where we might disagree about how to affect change socially and culturally, there are, some th there are things that are up for debate outside. But James would say that the main reason, we, uh, the main way we affect change is, is by learning how to live together as God's people amidst seeing some things differently, amidst different backgrounds, amidst different uh, social classes. And so this starts here, and then it bleeds out. And so James is encouraging them to remember that. Um, we see themes of favoritism and rich and poor. Another theme in James is the tongue, which is how we use our language. Are we encouraging one another, or are we destroying one another? And I would say James has quite a bit to say about our use of social media today. And so that sets us up for James 5. He's got a lot to say about how we interact with one another. So I'm going to read it all, and then with the time we got left, we're just going to say as many things as we can about it. So does it sound good? Okay, James chapter 5. And you guys know that chapters and verse numbers, they weren't a part of like the original Bible. Uh, James wasn't like, chapter 5. Like, James just wrote a letter, but... Some smart people several hundred years ago thought, you know what, let's put some chapters and verse numbers in there just so that we can, we can turn our pages quicker. We can get to, you mentioned this verse, I can get to this verse. But James has just kept going from chapter 1 all the way through. But here we're going to start chapter 5. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. The corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, 
The wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have commit, condemned and murdered the innocent one who is not opposing you. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, under the, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crops, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would rain, not rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring the person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Dear Jesus, I pray that you be with us as we unpack this letter from your younger brother. You'd help us in our understanding. You'd speak to us, and you'd get our attention in the ways you want to. In your name, amen. Okay, well, this is a feast, maybe a hard feast, but I mean a feast in the sense of there's too much ground to cover and not enough time to do it, unless you guys want to miss the Super Bowl. And so what we're going to do is I really want to focus on the first half and the, the, the first end. I'm going to make a couple quick observations about the other stuff, but, um, but we've tried to give you guys resources and things where you can go to keep digging, if you want to keep digging. Um, but he starts with this phrase, now listen, you rich people. Um, we can't zoom past this. Most of us don't consider ourselves rich. Um, but we, most of us are. We just don't consider ourselves rich. Let me give you a few quick statistics. They won't be on the screen. I'm just going to read them fast. And they're about eight or nine years old. And so they could be updated. But here are some statistics. The USA is one of the 10 wealthiest countries on the globe. Um, citizens of the 10 wealthiest countries on the globe are now 75 times richer than those who live in the 10 poorest countries. American Christians make up 5% of the global church, but control half of the global Christian wealth. If you own a car, you're among 7% is 7% of the global population who owns a car. So you're top seven here if you own a car. If you have a college degree, you're among the 6.7% of the world's population. If your income is 25 grand per year, you're wealthier than 90% of the world's population. 
And if you make 50 grand a year, you're wealthier than 99% of the world. You guys also know that Christians during the Great Depression gave a higher percentage of their income than Christians do today, <laughs> which is a wild thing for me to think about. So, when James says, listen, you rich people, instead of zooming past it, we actually need to slow down with that and think, maybe he has some things to say to us. Maybe this isn't just for them. You know, I think that he's probably talking to some folks who look to money for their security. And I think his invitation to them is to look to God for their security and not their finances, especially considering how we treat those who work under us or how we accumulate our wealth. He has a couple specific condemnations in this passage. He's, he's really upset at the rich who don't pay their day laborers or take advantage of a poor person's situation. Uh, the day laborers of the day, usually they needed to work just to eat that night. And so if a rich person's like, well, I'll pay you later. I'll pay you tomorrow. Uh, maybe I'll pay you next week. Or, or I'm, I forgot to pay you. And the rich person is accumulating wealth at the expense of the poor person who can hardly eat. That's upsetting. And it, and, and it should be. He's upset about that. And uh, it's, it's tempting for us to skip past that too because most of us are probably like, man, I'm not cheating any day laborers out of any money. I get it. Here's, the, here's what I don't want to think about. I don't want to think about who made my clothes. Um, because I might want my clothes cheaper. But maybe just maybe, the conditions and the pay of the people who made our clothes isn't great. And maybe just maybe, as rich Christians that we are, most of us, and I'm not, I understand that some of us might actually not, not, be, not be wealthy, so please don't hear me group you in with those of us who, who have a little bit of, of money. But um, maybe, we, maybe just maybe we need to consider who's making our clothes, where we're buying our clothes. I mean, that's just one thing. But I think James would invite us to actually think about some of this stuff, right? The sea of our culture just makes, we just kind of go with the flow. And I think he's inviting us several times. In fact, Amber did a great job last week talking about how there's worldly wisdom and there's heavenly wisdom. And, and these are different, and they work differently. And... So maybe instead of going with the flow, we need to take a step out and just consider some stuff. Um, he also has hard words to say about living in luxury and self-indulgence. But again, the whole time, James is just unpacking Jesus' teaching. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, and you guys can go there if you want, or it's going to be on the screen, and I'm just going to flip over to read it. Matthew chapter 6. And you'll notice some of the same words that James uses, especially like moth, like moths destroy. Like James is just borrowing Jesus' language and unpacking it a little bit. But in Matthew 6, verse 19, Jesus says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. 
But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, James is just unpacking this. But there's a principle there that Jesus lets us in on. Um, a lot of times when we think about um, wanting to be generous or living generously, the way that our culture kind of works with generosity is if you feel something, give towards it. I feel this thing, so I should give towards it. But Jesus actually says our money and our hearts work different. There's a string that connects them. And the, and the reality is where you put your money, your heart just, do, 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 do. It's just, it just, it just goes right along. So if you actually want your if you want to become a more generous person, if you, or if you want to learn to trust God for your security and not your money, or if you want your money to not have the control that it might have on you, the solution is to put your money in a new spot and watch your heart catch up. Because that's, that's, Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will follow. And so that's, that's really significant and I think important for us to think about. As we think about not being mastered by money, as we consider James' warning that, oh, we might be, we might be the rich people. And he, there's an invitation here. <laughs> he doesn't pull any punches in chapter 5. Rich people, you rich people, weep and wail for the misery coming on you. But I think he's just trying to shake them up a little bit because the reality is if we accumulate to a certain point, we can just look at the lives of celebrities if we need to. Or the lives of the millionaires. Oh, I always think about the story of after the Golden State Warriors first won their championship, um, Andre Iguodala and President Barack Obama are walking through this room together, and there's, and there's a bunch of billionaires in the room. And Barack Obama turns to Andre Iguodala, and if you don't know Iguodala, that's fine. He was, he was the finals MVP during their first championship. Small, small fact. But um, Barack Obama turns to Andre Iguodala, and he says, all these billionaires, and not one of them is happy. See, the reality is, like, we kind of chase things thinking they're going to do it for us, but they don't. So James is just trying to shake them up a little bit and say, hey, weep and well for the misery coming upon you, because if you get everything you want, it's not actually what you want. Okay? He's inviting us to wake up, but then I love the good news, and it's hidden in here. It's tucked away, but if you see it, you're like, oh, that's so good. Because in verse 5, he says, um, no, verse uh, 4. End of verse 4. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. The harvesters were the day laborers that were being taken advantage of. And this, ver this James reminds them, God hears the cries of the poor and the oppressed and the taken advantage of and the down and out and the people who feel forgotten. God hears their cries, and that's good. That's good. Okay. So much here, right? We're going to do the next part real fast. A few highlights. One, he, he encourages them to patiently wait. Remember, this is a group going through suffering and trials and hardships, and patience doesn't come easy. But he encourages them to patiently wait and trust God. God will make these wrongs right in his timing. Then he tells them not to grumble, because again, the whole time through James... He said, be careful with how you use your tongue. Don't grumble against one another. We're not to tear one another down. And so he does that. And then he, he says, 
uh, uh, do not swear. Um, I actually wanted to throw up the King James Version of James 5.12. Is that it? Is that the... Did I have it in my slides? Where'd it go? There it is. Thank you. Thank you. Andrew got my back. King James Version. Listen to this. This sounds this is kind of fun to read King James Version. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath. Don't be making oaths. James is saying. But let your yea be yea, and your nay, nay. Nay, nay. <laughs> Lest ye fall into condemnation. I just want to hit that oath part real quick. James is like, don't be taking oaths. Uh, one of my favorite Old Testament scholars, his name is John Golden Gay. And he's like, we've got to learn a lesson from the Old Testament. Almost every time someone is like, God, I promise you that I'm going to do this. It's a bad story. It's like, no, you should not do that. Don't do it. Don't do it. And they do it. And you're like, oh, this is not going well. He, it's, it's really important for us to, to both hear the caution of the Old Testament when it cautions us from making those types of promises. And James cautions us about making oaths because the gospel is not about us fulfilling oaths to God. The gospel is about God fulfilling his oath to us. That's the gospel. We could say more, but got to keep cruising. And then he has this section on prayer. And I love, love, love. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. This is the type of community Jesus wants to birth in our midst. And it's the type of community that's possible because the cross reminds us we're all sinners. We needed Jesus to die on the cross. We need him to die on the cross. And we were going to need him to die on the cross because we keep messing things up. And, but, but in light of that, and in view of the cross, it means we don't have any, anyone to impress or anything to hide. So we can, just bear, we can just reveal it all. We can bear it all. We don't have to secretly struggle. We don't have to secretly hide. We don't have to pretend like we have it all together. We can just, we can peel back the onion layers of ourselves, confess your sins to one another, and pray that you might be healed. Isn't that so good? But I want to camp on chapter 19, or verse 19 and 20. He says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Have you guys, uh, have you ever seen the bumper sticker, Not All Who Wander Are Lost? Because uh, the church has used this term lost um, in a way that sometimes people feel insulted by it. I'm not lost. I'm not lost. Not all who wonder are lost. Um, let me tell you a way to lose a battle. You're trying to convince someone that they're lost. It usually doesn't end well. But sometimes people don't actually need to be convinced. They already know. They already know. They already know they're lost. And I was thinking about this, about those who wonder, and a story came to my mind where Jesus says, in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he says, the Son of Man came to seek 
and save the lost. Do you know when Jesus says this? This got me really pumped in my Bible study this week, so I've got to stand up for a minute. Jesus says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost at the very end of the story about a rich man who knew it wasn't working. His name is Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus got rich, exploiting people and taking advantage of them. The same way that James is like, whoa, guys, like, weep and wail for the misery that's coming to you. This could have been describing Zacchaeus. He got rich exploiting people. But he knew that his wealth as security and his wealth accumulation and his method of wealth accumulation, none of it was working. And so you know what? He, was, he heard Jesus was coming and he started to look. He wanted to be there for it. Again, if you're trying to convince people they're lost, it usually doesn't end well. But there's a lot of people who already know. And Zacchaeus wanted to look at Jesus. Okay? So he climbs a tree. In Luke chapter 19, because he's short. How'd you like that for like you're, you're famous in the Bible because you're short? Um, I just think that's funny. Like, what? Luke, Luke just was interested in the details. I guess, it, I guess it was important. Like, or maybe he knew Zacchaeus and he's like, I'm going to tell him you're short. You know, I don't know. I don't know. It's a strange thing to say. But he's short, so he climbs a tree because he can't see over people's heads. And when Jesus reaches the point where he sees this dude in a tree, he says, Zacchaeus, come down. And I think that must have jolted Zacchaeus a little bit because he's like, how does Jesus know my name? But then Jesus says something even more surprising than naming Zacchaeus. He's like, I'm going to eat at your house, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus Okay, so he has Jesus over. Jesus is always upsetting religious people of his day because he keeps insisting that those who are far from God aren't actually far from God. Zacchaeus is one of those people who the religious crowd thinks is far from God. And he's done it all wrong up to this point, but he kind of knows he's done it all wrong up to this point. And Jesus has a dinner with them, and we don't actually know what they say. I wish we did. But what we do know is after dinner, something happened. And Zacchaeus, don't miss this, Zacchaeus encountered Jesus' presence and he was changed. Sometimes we make this more complicated than it's got to be. We're trying to convince people we're lo they're lost. We're trying to Maybe we should just be inviting people into our lives, maybe even into our church, and trust that when they encounter Jesus' presence, something will happen. He encounters Jesus' presence. And then he says, if I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to pay him back four times as, as much. Like, I'm going to make this right. And he's changed. Okay. That is the story that Jesus then says after Zacchaeus is like, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it away. I'm going to make this right. I've, he's encountered Jesus. He's changed. And Jesus says, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. And James tells us that if someone is wandering, we need to go seek them. Because there's heavy stuff on the line, spiritual life and spiritual death. He says, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death. 
but not just, I mean, spiritual death, but in a robust sense. Like, if you are someone who's chasing money as security, or you're chasing things for life, then if you end up like the billionaires who have those things and recognize that's not where life is, you're, you're not just saving them, and they're not just being saved in an eternal sense, they're being saved in like a now sense. Like what's truly living was not what they were chasing, but what's truly living is a life surrendered to Jesus. And so some of you might feel a bit like Zacchaeus. Maybe it's wealth and the accumulation of wealth or wealth as security. Or maybe it's not wealth. Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's something else. And you don't need to be convinced you're lost because you know it. And I'm not here to scream at you. You're lost. You already know it. But you need to know that you're worth finding. And Jesus says, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We might as well hear your name instead of Zacchaeus' name. Bonnie? I'm just going to make up names here so you guys don't feel put on the spot. Uh, uh, Julie? Stephen? Jesus says you're worth finding. I was sitting across the table from a buddy that we're getting to know one another, and he's becoming a friend of mine from my co-working space, and the conversation turned to Jesus, and so we're talking, and I just said, I think Tim, Tim Keller has a quote that says, the gospel is, we're more flawed than we dare believed, and we're more loved than we dare imagine. And he said, dope. And I was like, thank you, Lord, because that's a supernatural work of Jesus, even in that moment, to realize there's something beautiful in that statement. Some of you guys need to hear, you already know you're more flawed than you imagined, but you need to hear you're more loved than you dare imagine or believe. So maybe today you just need to say, in the quiet of your heart. Jesus, thank you for coming to save me. I receive your grace. I receive your life. Help me to learn how to live in your way. You can say something like that. Jesus honors those type of prayers. You don't have to be professional prayers or fancy prayers. Just say that in the quiet of your heart. Jesus hears that. The last thing I want to, the way I want to wrap us up is there's both that inward invitation and that's the one where we're like, is there a little Zacchaeus in us and there's a little Zacchaeus in all of us, all right? There's an inward invitation, but there's an outward invitation too. Just as Jesus reminds us, he came to seek and to save the lost, as James reminds us and, and is unpacking Jesus' teaching and says, if someone wonders, we should seek them, we should go after them. Easter's in 49 days. And James reminds us that people meeting Jesus, this is serious stuff here. There's serious stuff on the line here. For them, for their life now and forever. And we don't have to convince people they're lost. Our job is to point to Jesus. We invite, we, 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 we invite them and we trust Jesus with the rest. 
And so I have these sheets in the back by the Welcome Center where I'll be, where I can collect Connect cards too after uh, we dismiss. And these sheets in the back, and I, uh, I have one up here so you guys can look at it. This is a tool called the Relational Reach Zone. But what I want to encourage you guys to do is to prayerfully fill this out sometime this week. The top question is, who do you know who hasn't experienced new life in Jesus and are not a part of our church family? Think about people from work, school, friends, neighbors, teens, hobbies, family. And then you create a prayer list of five to ten people. You write their name by these little stick figures. You put this list where you can see it and begin to pray for them by name every day. And I would encourage you guys that as you begin to pray for them, begin to pray specifically that they will come on Easter Sunday morning to the front church. If they do, they will hear the story of Jesus in a presentable, relatable, and compelling way. If they do, they'll be invited to take a next step towards Jesus. If they do, they'll have a lot of fun. If they do, we're going to welcome them and love them and care for them well. But be thinking about who in your life and then don't worry about inviting them yet. We want to invite them. Don't worry about inviting them yet. Just start to pray for them. Just start to pray for them. James, Jesus and James remind us we're not a social club. We don't close our doors and keep people out. We open them. And we open the doors, not just of our church, but of our homes and our tables, and we let people in. And as we open ourselves up, we grow. And as we open ourselves up in love to those around us and the people that are going to make this list, he does the work. Our job is not to convince, but our job is to invite, and we trust Jesus with the rest. So let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you so much for James's letter and the things he encourages the Christians back then with. And I, I kind of find some strange encouragement in that the things that they struggle with back then are the same sort of stuff we're struggling with now. But you're at work. You were at work in them and you're at work within us. So do a work, God. And God, for those of us who feel like Zacchaeus this morning, I pray that we would hear you calling our name and remember that if we feel lost, you came to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus, for those of us with the names of people in our lives on our hearts that we desperately want to see experience your life, I pray that we would just begin to pray for these folks and that you and your good time would do a work in their lives that only you can do. We ask it in your name. Amen.